Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, composer and songwriter, Cliff Masterson, to the show. Welcome, Cliff. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love I love speaking with individuals who work in the music industry. Did you kind of figure when you were younger that you would love to work in the music industry just by seeing a composer actually working or maybe a conductor conducting? Because you also conduct. That's true, yeah. Well, I, I'm one of these very lucky people that... Um, I always knew what I wanted to do. And I'm, as I say, extremely lucky because I managed to get away with it, basically. Um, from a very young age, uh, I think I was about four years old. And my mum will tell me this story of how, you know, I'd listen along, actually to Disney records mostly, uh, but I'd have this little tiny toy island and I'd bang away on this toy and, and play the right notes with this music. And I remember her saying to my dad that, you know, I think he's going to be musical. I think he's got an ear for it. And, um, you know, he would say, oh, that's ridiculous. He's four years old. He's just getting lucky. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. I think I could probably read music before I could read words. And uh, it's always been something that I've strived to do. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting away with it. I, I'm so glad that you bring up that you used to listen to Disney music when you were younger. I feel like for me personally as a young kid, that kind of spoke to me on so many different levels and encouraged me to go out and look more into the music industry itself. And so when Disney finally approached you to have you on board as a composer for the theme parks, composing the song Destiny for the Mission Space Attraction in Epcot for those who have never gotten a chance to go and listen to it themselves. You know, that just seems, it just seems like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So when did you get the call and and how did they find you particularly? Well, I, I think, firstly, I think you're absolutely right. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I was, I was always that child that left the Disney parks with the the vinyl or the picture disc or the CD under my arm of all the songs from all the attractions. And that always had a huge impact on me, you know, even from an early age of listening to gatefold vinyl things with a xylophone. You know, I would come away from those parks with those tracks, those CDs, and I would listen to them. And I think it's really kind of carved, uh, it's kind of shaped what I've done in so many things, you know, I am a huge fan of the parks and to, to have been involved in any way is, is an absolute thrill to me. And I'm pretty sure actually I'll never top it because, you know, as someone said to me today, oh, you, could, you know, what if you wrote a hit record or if you, you know, I've, I've been really lucky and I've done some, some fun things on quite a big stage, but I don't think anything will touch me personally as much as going to a theme park and hearing a song that I've had a hand in, you know, and taking my kids along and listening to the songs relieve the attraction. I think a lot of people think of Imagineers or people that work on these things as it's just a job. And 
for me, certainly that isn't the case. You know, it, it is such a special thing. And, um, you know, I, I'll always be grateful for the opportunity. And it's one of those things, actually, that came along in a really obscure way because um, I was published at the time. This is going back to 2003 now um, when the, the attraction was being developed. At that time, I was published by a subsidiary of Universal as a songwriter and a producer in the UK, uh, a company called Metrophonic. Now, the chairman of Metrophonic uh, is a guy called Brian Rawling. Um, now, at the same time, the vice chair of music production in um, LA or in Disney theme park productions was a guy called Brian Rawlings. <laughs> and it was one of those things where, I mean, my publisher knew I was a huge fan of Disney. And I believe he went to Medem or one of these industry showcases. And the story goes that they were assigned the same seat. Uh, obviously having such similar names. So they obviously got chatting, hit it off, um, and Metrophonic around that time, just um, some of the other writers there had, had some huge successes with songs like uh, Believe for Cher and Hero for Enrique. So they got chatting, and I guess that's just how it came about. My publisher was suggesting that maybe I could get involved in the attraction and writing the song, and as fate would have it, that's, that's the way it works. Although it was a very collaborative process. It wasn't a case of, you know, here's a song, what do you think, guys? It, it was very much a two-way process, ensuring that the, the content, the production, and the lyric tied in as closely as possible to the theming of the, of the attraction. Were you on hand at certain points to meet with the Imagineers so they would explain to you exactly what this ride was all about and maybe you got a first glimpse of the actual attraction before other guests got to see it for themselves? Actually, no, because Brian, my publisher, actually had those initial meetings, and I think he met with the team in Florida. And it's when he came back to the UK, and he said, actually, Cliff, you know what, this is ideal for you. I'd like you to get involved. And he sort of passed on that knowledge. Uh, I did have long conversations with uh, John Dennis, who I still speak to um, these days as well, head of music production over at Theme Park uh, Productions. And yeah, it was a case of they gave us lots of literature about the attraction and obviously a lot of the audio quotes and things that would be playing during um, during the, the line and, uh, you know, the whole process of going on the ride. So the idea was that we would absorb all of that information and then try and squash it down into um, a real kind of, uh, a, a, you know, a, a song that would best convey all of those emotions and all of those thoughts. What is your process for creating a song? Because it just seems like it's a, it's far different writing a song for a pop artist than writing a song for an actual theme park attraction. You were saying that the actual Imagineers were discussing with you, you know, certain key points of the attraction, which might have popped an idea in your head to name the song Destiny and and why the lyrics are written the way they are. Yeah, well, I have a background in musical theatre as well, and I think that's the closest to this particular writing task because writing for pop artists is quite a different thing to writing to such a tight brief as this. Um, it, it was interesting because... We had to avoid certain words. I think in one of the early drafts, we used the word imagine, imagination. And that obviously wasn't a great idea because there's a whole other pavilion to do with imagination. So it was, it was a very clear, direct brief as, as to how to you know, maintain um, the right direction for the song and make sure that we were lyrically on the right path. I have to say that originally the song wasn't actually called Destiny. Um, during the writing process, which actually covered... 
I guess three months or so from January to March 2003, we were firing ideas backwards and forwards. And of course, on the 1st of February during that period, the Shuttle Columbia disaster uh, happened. Um, the song was originally called Eternity. And uh, obviously, we, everyone took a view at that point that that was no longer an appropriate title for the song. And we had to reshape the lyric to ensure that we didn't um, uh, say anything we shouldn't say or, or to tie in with anything that could be, um, you know, obviously negative towards space travel at the time. So it was quite a tricky task and ever-changing. I think it's sung beautifully, and, and that's my next question about the actual singer. Did you, you know, come into play and, and get to select the singer yourself? Yeah, we actually tried three different singers. We started with Louise, um, and Disney just wanted to hear some options. So we had two other singers uh, come along, um, very different styles, very different voices, and we actually ended up, uh, we went back to Louise and said, look, we think you're the right voice for this. Everyone loves what you're doing, but can we try approaching this slightly differently? And it was that vocal when we revisited it. That was the one that ended up being used. Louise Warren, I actually, before I was um, uh, writing songs and, and sort of full-time composer, as so many other people in my position, I ended up doing a lot of functions and, and gigs and I'd be singing in bands and things. And Louise was singing in another band one night um, at a venue and I just heard her voice and she just had that, just a brilliant um, ease with the way that she could sing on such a huge range with such power. I mean, she was actually very short, she was a little tiny dot. And um, I just always remember hearing her sing and thinking, wow, what a powerhouse of a voice, but it's, it's so effortless. So when this came along, um, it just struck me that she would be a great person to try out on, on the song and, and it worked so well. She knocks it out of the park with that song. So I just, she totally you know. does. And also the other two singers we tried, they really struggled to follow that because it is incredibly high. And as I say, it's only when you perhaps try to sing along that you realize just how high it is because, you know, it does sound kind of effortless when she does it. Do you think at some point that you'll be able to work with the Disney company again on a future attraction? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. And I, I, I saw John actually last month when I was working in LA. This is John Dennis. I mean, met up at uh, Disney Imagineering. And he's super busy at the moment, of course, because of uh, Disney Shanghai that they're, they're working on. And there's a lot to do there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still in contact with John. He knows where I am. And uh, I'm sure one day, or I hope one day, we'll, uh, we'll work together again. Well, now let's end the show with our three Disney questions I always ask our guests. I call them the Fab Three. Uh -oh. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater? Oh, wow. That's a tricky one. Um, in the movie theater, that's quite specific. I think the most, I think um, The Rescuers Down Under is actually one of my favorite uh, Disney movies and I couldn't actually tell you why I just think it's a great film and the characters are great and I love Joanna the kind of lizard thing that's um creeping around and eating the eggs the whole time because she reminds me of my dog because <laughs> he will eat anything that's left on the table and there's that great scene where she keeps kind of popping up and uh, trying to steal the eggs um but yeah so I guess that would be an answer I didn't actually see it at the cinema but that's one of my favorite Disney movies I think and our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Oh, um, let's think. Uh, well, a short of saying Joanna again, because she reminds me of my dog, I'd have to pick the next 
dog type character, uh, which is not really a dog, but Lilo thinks he is part of the time. And that'll be Stitch, I think, just because he goes from such a great <laughs> journey in that film. And he has that motto, you know, Ohana, no one gets left behind or forgotten. And I think that's a great message um, for anybody. And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh, well, I think the Disney song that most takes me back, going back to what we were talking about earlier, about being transported back to a time and place, and it's a really obvious one, um, but it would be me standing as an eight-year-old child with my parents, watching the fireworks, listening to When You Wish Upon a Star, a tearful because it was the last night we were leaving the Magic Kingdom. We didn't ever know if we could get back there again, and it had been such a magical time. So for me, that one instantly takes me back to being eight years old again. Uh, Reflection from Mulan is probably one of my other favourite songs, just because I think it's such a beautiful, well-constructed song and just a great melody. Well, thank you so much, Cliff, for coming on the show. I want to mention that you're on Twitter at Cliff Masterson and your website, www.cliffmasterson.com. You can head over to those links down below in the show notes, listeners. You're more than welcome to come back anytime. We hope uh, we, thank- we hear about you in the Disney news again soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy to talk to you. The achievement of mankind as we see-